Diana Dubbs joins us from Dream Life Recovery to share her recovery story and talk about the evolving stigmas around mental health and substance abuse. She talks about selling recovery, finding her fit in the industry, establishing and protecting personal boundaries, and having mentor peers in her life. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Uh, today on our podcast, we have Diana Dubs, um, and Kurt and I are super excited to talk with Diana. She has a recovery story of her own as well to share. Um, she's the Director of Business Development at the Eastern Region at Dream Life Recovery. And Dream Life Recovery offers a variety of options which allow us to find a method of therapy that works best for each of us. Um, we all know that every person is different, and so we individualize or Dream Recovery, Dream Life uh, individualizes the program to find the right fit for you so you can find success in recovery. Um, Diana has been with Dream Life for several years and is making a difference in the treatment world. Diana, thanks for being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's kind of fun. We were we were just chit chatting before you know before we started the recording, and you were sharing some really fun things. Um, and one thing that we say this often, but it's kind of it kind of funny. I mean, I giggle almost every time. Is I don't know of anybody. I have yet to to check with anybody that said, yeah, when I was little, I said. I want to be in substance abuse treatment. Like, that's what I want to do for my living, right? Like, nobody says that. And so it's kind of fun to find out how, you know, people's history and how they ended up here in, in the treatment world, which is an incredible industry. It's, it's different than any industry I've ever been in. So maybe just share a little bit of your story. When you were explaining that, I'm cutting you off first. When you were explaining that this time, I thought maybe it's because when we were kids, the like emotional intelligence wasn't there. <laughs> and now with like the number of adults that are going through recovery, it could be that this upcoming generation is the generation who sees their parents in recovery and is like, that's what I want to do. And they do this from the beginning instead of being sober and then getting into the industry like the rest of us, you know, maybe, maybe we're part of the change. It's also kind of funny, too. Sometimes you get the opposite effect. Like, when people ask me what I do for a living, like, on the soccer fields when I'm hanging out with my kids, and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm in sales. And like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I work for a substance abuse treatment 
program my product is treatment and they're like uh who do you sell to i'm like everyone and like their their immediate response is like oh 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 and like you can see their body language change um but it's really funny you know to to make that intro to people who don't know and this isn't normal to them like it's not normal to work with drug addicts all day you know um but it is in my world. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and, and you, you, what, Kurt, what Kurt said kind of lends to the idea that we didn't even know as kids that it, such thing existed, right? So, of course, we didn't say we wanted to be in substance abuse, right? Because that, you know, we might have been in the world where we had parents or people we knew that had addiction, but we didn't understand that you could recover from that. So I, it's a trick question. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Um, I... <sighs> Listen, I, I did what everybody else did. I came out of treatment, um, freshly sober, and I wanted to save the world, right? So, like, I wanted to cure everyone of this awful disease because I figured out what was wrong with me, and I needed everybody else to figure out what was wrong with them. So I knew that I wanted to do something in treatment. I did not want to be a therapist. No offense. Um, I didn't really care why people did what they did, you know? Um, that never occurred to me that I wanted to sit and listen to people's problems all day, um, you know, but I didn't know what else there was. I didn't deal with a treatment rep. I didn't, you know, I went to a facility that my doctor referred me to. Um, so I didn't really know, you know, I had reached out to a friend of mine, a friend of our family who was a clinician at that time. And I said, what can I do? Like, I don't, I don't want to be a therapist. I don't know what else there is, but I know I want to work in treatment. And I think I have, I have something that I can offer. She said, well, she goes, if you really think that you belong in this industry, my suggestion to you is to go volunteer for a year. And if you can stay in an organization and volunteer for a year without getting paid and stick with the same organization, then you deserve to be in this industry, you know? So I was like, all right. And I, and I didn't really have anything else to do, to be honest with you. You know, I was, I was just getting married. I was already pregnant. I had a job. Um, nobody was really requiring me to do, you know, provide for anything yet, you know? Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So I found an organization and I, I volunteered with them and I ended up joining their board of directors. Um, and then I started working with them pretty intensely and they offered me a job working in their office. And I did, and I took the job working in their office and it was supposed to be super light, like three days a week. It ended up being five days a week. And, um, you know, they started teaching me the, the Medicaid process and I live in New Jersey. And at that time it was now we're going back six years ago the process in New Jersey was very difficult to get somebody into treatment. Um, it didn't look like it did today. It looked like you had to call every day. You had to wait to get a bed. You had to get up in the morning, make, start making the phone calls. You, you had to know somebody to get in. And, um, you know, they basically said like, if you can learn the Medicaid process with your eyes closed, we will teach you how to do interventions and work with people who have private insurance. I said, okay. And um, so I learned how to do the Medicaid process and I started building contacts. Like I would call anybody and anyone in the industry, in the nonprofit world that had any sort of merit and say, can you help me? Can you teach me? And they did. And some of those contacts are literally 
near and dear to my heart today. Um, we still work together and, and we do some amazing stuff together. Um, but I just started calling people and asking for help and asking people to teach me how to do things. And then I started working with, with patients who had private insurance and I started doing uh, interventions and I started helping get people to treatment and I started learning different treatment centers. Um, you know, and it just became this process of just learning, right? And um, then I got pregnant with my second son and unfortunately, nonprofit world does not pay for two kids and a husband and bills in New Jersey. Um, so I just, I decided that I wanted to go work for profit. And at that point I had been introduced to marketing. Um, I knew what that looked like. I knew what the different roles were and I got a job working as a rep for a treatment center, you know? Um, and I was good at it. And the beautiful part about that was that I was, I was able to still do all the things that I loved, which was the advocacy work, but help people get to treatment. And all those contacts that I built with Medicaid and no insurance, like they were still there and they were still helping me and I could still help all the people that were calling that didn't have the resources, but now I could help the people that had the resources too. And I started building this, and I hate the term brand, um, you know, but that's really what it was, was this like ability to like, there was nothing that you could throw at me that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna figure it out, you know? Um, and still to this day, my treatment center laughs at me because I will throw at them some crazy cases and they're just like, oh, like, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, this is impossible. And my response is always like some, somebody deserves a chance at recovery. Like, let's give it to them, you know? Um, and nine times out of 10, they always figure out a way to help, help the people that I'm sending over, but they're just, they're not easy. They're not easy cases to, to, to work with, you know? Um, but I truly believe that everybody who calls me, there's, there's an option for them somewhere. We just, it's our job to figure out where that is. There's a challenge too, because like a lot of times when somebody's truly ready, it involves having to hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And in order to get to rock bottom, it kind of have to exhaust a lot of options, right? So it's kind of this balance of like, I mean, nobody's ever going to show up to recovery with everything together. It's no. kind of the point, you know? Like, I we think need help. I think sometimes, though, because everybody's rock bottom is different, sometimes we need a little help identifying what rock bottom actually is, you know? Um, and, you know... I don't know. It's just, I, I, like, I've had some people that are like, I have a job. I have all my bills paid for, you know, I make a lot of money. So what if I, I snort Coke on the weekends? You know what I mean? Um, even though like they don't have custody of their children, they're about to lose their job. Like all these, all these terrible things are happening to them, you know, but because they still have their things, they, they haven't gotten there yet. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, so it's that part gets the tricky part is being able to have that conversation and say, all right, yeah, you're not there yet, but you are going to be there. And sometimes you're going to get to treatment and then you're going to hit rock bottom while you're here, you know. Um, so that's kind of the what I've learned along the way is how to have those conversations. 
Well, and I love your enthusiasm, right? That you're, you're not outside, you, you think outside the box, right? It's not like everybody fits into one pigeonhole. It's like, look, everybody's a little different. If we can't figure out how to help them and find a solution for them, then really why are we in this industry, right? Why are we doing this? There's gotta be a way to help these people. Exactly, and I think that the problem is, my treatment center is not always going to be the option for everyone. You know, um, we're not a fit for everybody and I don't claim to be a fit for everybody. And I don't want people to send me every single person because it is impossible for us to be perfect for every person out there. You know, um, there's 805 treatment centers in the state of Pennsylvania and some of them are wonderful, wonderful facilities that have amazing things to offer other patients, you know, um, it's our job to put that person in the in the right hands. You know what I mean? Um, and it doesn't always mean that that's in our admissions team's hands. You know what I mean? And I think that's what sets us apart from other people is that if, if we're not the right fit, we will certainly get you to the right place. But we're not going to t we're not going to pretend that we are the right fit for you, if that makes sense. Well, and you have to take that approach, right? It's the ones, it's the facilities that don't take that approach and try and help everybody that they're, they're not doing anybody a favor because you're exactly right. And, and, and what you say is it, it kind of shares the idea that you have a lot of wisdom and you've create, you know, you've developed a lot of wisdom and picked it up along the way. Maybe talk a little bit about your recovery story and, and, and some of those pivotal moments for you. So I um, have been sober about seven and a half years. My sobriety date is October 21st, 2013. Um, I got sober at a facility. Well, I went to treatment at a facility called Karen Foundation, which is one of the best resources here in the area. Um, and at the time that I got sober, you know, there were there just weren't a whole lot of options. You know, um, there wasn't as many places to go. And to be honest with you, I didn't really know what was wrong with me. You know, I had spent so much time of my life, probably a good 16 years of just ripping and running. But I had always surrounded myself with people who did things like I did until people couldn't do things like I did them anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like people started getting married and having kids and like living their life. And I was still like buying Percocets on the corner in North Philly. You know what I mean? Um, and it just wasn't fun anymore. Like it got for me, like I couldn't get high anymore. So I was just trying to not be sick and I was trying to feel better mentally, spiritually, physically, and I could never feel better. I just always felt worse, you know? And I come from a really good family. Like I don't have, I don't have any kind of abuse in my family, no addiction, you know, in my immediate family. Nobody was traumatic to me. Like there was nothing textbook that should have made me how I am. It was just in me. It was, I, I never felt good enough. I never felt a part of, I was just always searching to be something more than I was. I just had no idea what it was, you know? And I did that my entire adolescence, my entire adulthood. 
um, you know, with every bad relationship, with every bad friendship, like I was always searching to fill that hole, you know? Um, in 2014, I, and I shared with you guys before we, we actually started recording, like I was always a big drinker. I would always, you know, take what was in front of me as long as it was going to make me feel better. Like I, that was the first question I asked you, is this going to make me feel better? Not, is this going to kill me? Is this going to hurt me? Because I just always wanted to feel good. You know, um, alcohol was, was a constant, but in, in, I would say 2010, I got hooked on opiates and it was like a quick take out, you know, within three years, it just wiped me out. You know, um, I kind of picture it like that big tidal wave that comes over. Like, that's what that did to me. It leveled me, you know, um, and it wasn't long that like all the things that happened with addiction, you know, the stealing, the lying, the cheating, you know, all those terrible things like they all happen to everybody who falls into this one way or another. Um, and that was, me. you know, I was like 115 pounds soaking wet, hated who I was. My skin was gray. I hadn't probably slept in three years um, because we don't sleep when we're using Percocet. Like, it's just like this constant, like your body's asleep, but your mind's awake, you know? Um, and I was born. And that, that family that loves me so much, like they realized that something was wrong with me, but they didn't know what was wrong with me because I'm first generation Italian. We don't talk about stuff like that nor are we really educated on stuff like that, you know? So it was like, are you bipolar? Are you gambling? What, like what's going on with you, you know? And I tried, I had spent my entire life learning that like I could negotiate my way out of things, you know? But like that night I couldn't negotiate out of it. They weren't going to let me leave until I told them what was wrong with me. And I finally waved the white flag. Like I said, I'm a drug addict and I can't do this anymore, you know? And the minute that I said that, it was like a thousand pounds off of my shoulders, you know? Now, the days following were, were horrendous, you know? Um, but, you know, in that moment, it was like my deepest, darkest secret was out and I didn't have to lie anymore and somebody was gonna help me get better, you know? But like, even in that process, I didn't know what treatment was going to do. Like I spent three days picking in my mom's kitchen because I didn't have insurance. And again, like nobody knows what to do in New Jersey when we don't have insurance, you know? So we, I ended up at a, a state run detox in North Jersey that my parents paid for. Um, and now that I know that they overpaid for me to go there, you know what I mean? Um, because I was already three days sober at the time that I got there. And, um, I spent five days there and I ended up at Karen foundation after that. And I didn't know, like I just, I thought that treatment was get the drugs out of your system. Right. I didn't know that it was, we're going to teach you how to live your life. Cause you don't know how to live your life, you know? And, and I did, like I learned, I learned how to live my life. Like I was petrified. I was petrified to come home and, and spend a Saturday sober. I had no idea how to do that because I had never done it in 16 years. I had never been sober on a Saturday. You know, um, I was petrified to have a conversation with people. I was petrified to make friends. Like everything in my life was scary because I just didn't know how to do it. 
And I didn't like I didn't realize that the minute that I stopped doing drugs and drinking, that even though all those things were scary, like life was a whole lot easier. Do you know what I mean? Because it was more manageable. My life was completely unmanageable before I got here. You know, and um, sometimes I laugh. And I talk about how much I miss those early days of early sobriety. Like, you know, the the time in your first 90 days where everything is so messy um, and, and just so tangled up and de- like everything's destroyed. But it's there's a reason for it. You were a drug addict, right? Like you were a drug addict or you were an alcoholic and you did all these things and now you got to clean it up. Like today, when things get messy or tangly, it's because we're living life on life's terms and like there's no other reason for it and you're just a human being and like it's just life, like that's what happens. But like in those early days, it's very clear, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, And sometimes I miss that feeling of just knowing exactly how to fix the problem, you know? And today, you know, I have all these other things that I have to do, you know, because I follow a program of recovery and they tell me, you know, if, if God's not in it, then I have to find him first and all those things. And I have a hard time with stuff like that, you know, because I like to fix, manage and control and, and I still deal with those things, you know? Um, I met my husband very early in sobriety. Um, you know, I, I did everything they told you not to do. So in my first year, I was, well, in my first 90 days, I met my husband. In our first six months, we were engaged and moved in together. And uh, we were married at just over a year of sobriety. Um, in that same year, I had my first son, who is my now six-year-old. Um, And just like two good drug addicts, we had our second son immediately following. I found out I was pregnant with him on my oldest son's first birthday. Um, You know, and like there's a reason why we tell people not to do that. It's because you don't know how to love yourself. And now you're expected to take care of a family unit, right? Like you're now the matriarch of the family, but like, I didn't even know where to drop our taxes off to, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and by the grace of God, you know, my kids have never known me as anything other than sober, um, which is a beautiful thing. You know, they know I'm sober. They know that they might have an allergy to alcohol. So they should be careful because mommy and daddy have an allergy to alcohol. That's how we explain it to them. You know, um, my kids are kind, you know, we 12 step them all day long and, um, you know, but it was hard early on and there were times that I stepped away from my recovery and there were times that I had to start over in my recovery. And there were times that I've had to, you know, ask for help again and, and feel like I did in that moment where I said, I'm a drug addict and I need help, but I didn't pick up again. And that's even worse. That's even worse of a feeling, you know, um, you know, in eight years I have, my husband relapsed very early on in our marriage. Um, he's okay now he's sober and healthy and happy. Um, and I learned from that experience that, you know, we all have different pathways to recovery and what he chooses to stay sober today is not what I choose. And that's okay because we still have the same end result which is to live sober and teach our kids to be good people. And that's okay for me today, you know, and that may not have been okay for me eight years ago, you know? Um, And it's just through, through life that I've learned, you know, that, 
you know, all these things that have happened through my sobriety and through my addiction and all, all these crazy things, it's put me here in this place because I'm, I'm supposed to teach other people how to get through these things. You know, I'm supposed to teach people, you know, how to be there for their kids and how to be there for their husband and, you know, and how we try to work through these things and, you know, when, when enough is enough and, and, and things like that, you know what I mean? And, and I think that because I put that stuff first and I put my, my work stuff second, it has allowed me to, to be this person that has never suffered when it comes to work. Like I've just never, I've never found, I've been stressed out. I've had times that I've been worried, but like it always passes and it's, it's never something that has made me suffer. Well, and, and I imagine too, Diana, I'm going to pause just for a second and Kurt, you're going to want to catch this and edit it out, but we're getting a little bit of feedback from you, Kurt, if you'll, if you'll mute. When, yeah, just a little bit. <clears throat> um, so I love the, I love the way you tell the story and you kind of address Diana, the, the idea that like, like here you are in a relationship early on, the very thing that they say, don't do that. And, and then you, you, you know, you get married and you have kids and those are super challenging transitions for someone who's not dealing with addiction, but someone who's recovering from addiction and still trying to figure it all out. That's, that's gotta be really difficult and challenging. What, what were some of the hardest parts for you? And, and how do you, how do you, so two parts to that question, what was it like for you? And then how do you talk to people? Cause that's a common thing, right? That's a common thing. We tell them don't get into a relationship because you're not ready for that. But it's the first thing we want to do, right? Is find some companionship and connection. So my husband is my person. Um, you know, he's the only person in this world besides my sponsor that knows everything about me, you know, and good, bad, indifferent. Sometimes he hates me for it. Sometimes he loves me for it, you know, but you know, he was put in my life for a reason. And although our story is not conventional and I don't suggest it to many people, like everybody's journey is different. You know, um, what I tell other people is that when you are getting into a relationship, here's why we tell people not to do these things. And here's why I'm telling you why we tell people not to do these things, because I lived it. You know what I mean? Um, and I know from experience that it is incredibly hard to learn to love yourself and to love another human being the way that they deserve to be loved and to ask them to love you the way that you deserve to be loved when you don't know what that looks like, you know? Um, I can't tell somebody, you know, I go to AA. You know, um, for sake of anonymity and, you know, we could talk about traditions all day. I'm, I'm like a total... I think that they're outdated, you know, but, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does not tell us that we can't date anybody in the first year. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does not tell us that you have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. It doesn't tell us that you have to call your sponsor every day. Like those are all things that we have created because we like to fix, manage and control. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells us is stop drinking, work the steps and help another alcoholic, you know? And as long as you're doing those things and being honest, 
and and you're not hurting anybody who am i to tell you that you can't engage and you can't you know like it that's your story you're gonna have to learn for yourself too and i'll be here to help you along the way yeah it's incredible and, and i agree everybody has their different path and it, it cannot be the same for any one person um but I'm wondering, as you, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to lots of moms, you know, and they talk about their, you know, being pregnant and giving birth and, you know, and if there's one thing that I know that children will test us and, and make us stretch more than anything else that I've ever experienced, right? And so how did you manage through all of those experiences that are new and unfamiliar, you know? I still manage to them. <laughs> right. You know, I, have, I have two kids that are couldn't be the couldn't be more opposite of each other. My oldest son is, you know, like a sweet angel baby from heaven, and my second son is like the devil reincarnated some days. You know? <laughs> um, you know, but I love them both dearly, and they're both my babies, and they both have these beautiful pieces of their personality. You know, um, but it. it you know, there is no perfect way to mother. And I think that just because I'm an addict in recovery, it doesn't make me weaker than another mom. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that like, you know, a lot of times, you know, if we're getting into like mommy wine culture, because that's kind of like where we are these days is that like, mommy had a tough day. So mommy needs to have a glass of wine because the kids were acting up. Well, like, no kids act up because that's how they communicate, you know? And it's not always easy. And like, sometimes I communicate by stopping my feet and slamming doors and screaming and cursing. Like, that's just who I am. So like, they do that too. Like we all have bad days, you know? Um, we have a rule in my house that we get to start over. So whenever my kids are throwing a tantrum or they're just really, really nasty for some reason, like I'll ask them, do you want to start over? And nine times out of 10, they'll say, yeah. And they'll go in their room, they'll compose themselves or they'll give me a hug or they'll cry a little bit. And then we just start over, you know? And it's like a reset button, you know? Um, I try to do that as much as I can. And, and we all get to start over, <laughs> you know what I mean? Does it always work? You know, but we just get through it. You know, I just, I tell people all the time, like, you know, schedules and, and potty training and like, you know, we all, we all do it. You know, <laughs> babies cry, babies freak out. You need a babysitter. I'll be here. You know, like you just ask for help. You know, it's, it's kind of like getting into the business of recovery. Like if I had never asked for help in the beginning, I wouldn't know half the people that I know today, right? So like if I don't ask for help when I'm parenting or when, with my husband or with my friends or in recovery, like I'm not gonna be where I am today. Well, I totally agree. And, and I think that's the part of the story that, that might be a little bit harder to tell is that you didn't get through all of that stuff on your own. You got through that stuff. Cause I can tell I'm hearing you talk about these awesome parenting skills that I know you didn't start with right we just don't start with those like we have to ask like how in the world did you get through this right and we talk to people and we ask them questions and and they tell us how they failed so that we can all do it a little bit better right <laughs> but it, we do it together right you just don't do that alone you don't figure that out alone and so i love you talking about that piece 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I have an amazing family that is like this safety net around me, um, and they have been rallying for me since the day I stopped drinking and drugging, you know, and they had one rule in my house and that was always do the right thing and we will be here to help you. And they did not lie. You know, the minute that I started doing the right thing, it didn't matter what else I did. And it didn't matter how badly I've screwed up in recovery because I have, like I've made some really bad mistakes in recovery, you know, but I haven't drank or drugged in almost eight years. And they have been here to help me through everything, you know, I live in a town on the same street as my brother who drove me to detox and treatment eight years ago. We live five houses down from each other. And my mom lives, my mom and dad live on the opposite end of the street, you know? Um, and it's a village and it's, uh, it's beautiful. You know what I mean? And I, I honestly wouldn't, on most days, wouldn't be able to do things in my life without them, you know? Yeah. And that's the beauty of it is that we get to build these amazing support networks around us. And sometimes it's family and, and often it's other people too, right? That that a whole bunch of people become that kind of family connection and and support. So I have, um, I have some amazing friends. Um, not a lot, but a few that are just, and I say not a lot because today I'm just, I'm choosy about who's in my life today. Right. Because, Eight years ago, I would just surround myself with anybody, you know? Um, And today, it's just when I bring somebody into my life, I'm not only bringing them into my life, I'm bringing them into my husband's life and my kid's life and, you know, my my world. And that's important to me. That's my safe space, you know? And um, I just, I have some beautiful women who who are just there for me, you know, and who have been there to carry me through some really tough times. Um, And... You know, it's that process of like, when you ask me how I got through things, it's because somebody else got through them first and taught me how to get through them, you know? Um, And I have literally somebody in my network that has been through almost everything in my life that I've been through that I can go to at any moment in time and say, hey, I need your help. And if they haven't been through it, they'll tell me who to call. And I can call that person, whether I know them or not, and they'll walk me through that problem. Well, and I think that's your biggest gift, right? One of your biggest gifts is you're not afraid to get on the phone and say, teach me how to do this, right? Yeah. You can yeah. go find the person and go, teach me how to do this, what, whatever it is, right? Life or work or whatever. No, I've never, I mean, you know, I've been super blessed in the past, however long that I've been doing this job, um, I, I don't know the the answer. I don't know. Let me find the answer for you goes so much further than just lying, you know? Um, and I wish more people got that and understood that. Just a simple, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. Let me find out what that answer is. Has gotten me so much further and so much more ahead than anything else I could say in a conversation, you know? Um, it's been, it's been good. Yeah. Well, it could, because your answer says, it says, I don't have to have all the answers, but I want to get you the best answer. Right. Right. And for, for a lot of us though, when, you know, before we get to a better place, it's, it means something's wrong with us if we don't know the answer or that we're flawed or, you know, we get that shame around it and, and that drives so many mistakes and errors. Right. 
Well, and that's, we work in a business where there's not a whole lot of room for error, right? Um, because your product, your product is treatment and your, your consumer is a person. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, and you're putting your person through your, your sales product. Like, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling to me sometimes when we talk about what this looks like, you don't have a whole lot of room for error with this process, you know, because that person leaves your treatment center and here's the tricky part, right? We have no real way to say if this is going to work for you or not, you know, and that person leaves your treatment center. And if you haven't given them a hundred percent and they haven't bought in, right. And they haven't given their a hundred percent, they leave that treatment center and they could die. You know, um, you don't, you might not get a second shot at helping them again. And I think that's the piece that we forget sometimes is that we're so focused on outselling our competition. Why does this person have this account? Why is this person, you know, on Facebook selling this and, and this SEO and like all this crazy mind boggling stuff to me when at the end of the day, you might get one opportunity to help somebody because your second opportunity might never come because that person could leave and die. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's the part that has never lost me. Even with, you know, we get a little bit desensitized in this business. It gets hard to say that every, everything that happens truly affects me the way that it did six years ago, you know? Um, but I can honestly tell you that I have an invested interest in, in really wanting to help every single person that crosses my plate, you know? Um, that's where I am. Yeah, and it's a tough, it's a tough balance. It is a tough balance to love people, but also have healthy boundaries, which we talked about that before we started recording the episode too, right? Those healthy boundaries. Talk, um, let's talk a little bit about dream life recovery and, and what dream life offers and, um, and you know, and what, what it's doing to help people. So dream life recovery center is a dual diagnosis inpatient treatment center located in uh, Western PA. So it's located in a town called Donegal, which is a very, very small town on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, when I took the job at Dream Life, um, and it's important that you should know this because it's it's this is how I feel about the facility, right? Um, I was in a position where I was super frustrated with treatment in general, and I didn't know if I wanted to stay working in treatment. Um, and somebody that I had worked for had said, you need to go find the facility where if your husband were to relapse, you would feel comfortable placing him there. You know, so I started, I started interviewing other people, you know, like I started going to inpatient centers and asking them, you know, you know, do you have a job open for me? And I, and I had a couple offers on the table and then somebody approached me and said, why don't you come work for dream life? And I said, well, why should I work there? Because it was open like six months. It was all out of network. Um, and they said, well, we're physician owned and operated. Um, and we just, we believe in truly individualizing treatment. You know, and then I met the staff and that's where we are today is that we are primarily in network at this point. Um, and we created a truly individualized treatment product 
for every person that comes in the door because we believe that treatment is not one size fits all and that every person has a different need and a different reaction to different clinical practices, different medications, um, you know, and we can't treat everybody the same way. We are dual diagnosis and the residential track is trauma-informed care because trauma starts off everything, you know? Um, so we really do treat the patient that has a lot of co-occurring disorders with substance use disorder as a primary, excuse me, as a primary focus, um, but we have some phenomenal therapists in our building that are master's level licensed clinicians that all have secondary specialties like, you know, anxiety and depression, LGBTQIA. We have a primary Spanish speaking track. Um, we have somebody who focuses on male sexual shame, you know, all these different things that as a person comes in and we start to remove the toxins from their body and their secondary issues start to pop up. Now we have therapists there that are really treating not only the substance use disorder, but also the secondary issues that are popping up. It is not unheard of for a patient to see a therapist up to two times a week with us, um, which in other facilities, they might see a therapist once every other week, you know? Um, and we offer a really great mix of traditional and holistic treatment. So we do your regular CBT, DBT, but then we mix in holistic treatment, Reiki yoga, nature therapy, adventure therapy. But we actually process after we do these things. So we're not just taking them for a walk and then coming back and saying, all right, guys, go to your rooms. You know, we're actually processing and attaching the traditional therapy to it. You know, we believe that, you know, treatment, we have to heal the whole body, mind, body, and soul. You know, if we don't attack all of it, you're not going to leave here healed, you know, and it's our job. It's our job to get you ready for your next level of care. Who's going to continue the work that we've done, you know, and that's, that's the basis for dream life recovery. It's very cool. And I love the, how you incorporate all of those different aspects and, and obviously with your experience in treatment, if, if you love this facility, there's a reason why, and that they offer something that you didn't see somewhere else. Um, I, I noticed that some of the things that you offer, leastwise on the website, is um, some biofeedback. Are you, what, what, what are you guys? What are you guys seeing? What results are you seeing with the biofeedback? You know, I wish I had accurate data for you, but that would be information I'd have to get from the facility. Yeah. Um, but I can I can get that for you. You know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting to see. I don't know answers. Yeah. No, and that's okay because you're not the one doing it. I get that. Um, but yeah. there's there's new you know there's sensory rooms and there's biofeedback and there's so we have, I mean we have um, it's actually pretty cool we have a sauna room an aqua massage chair and um, the sauna room is like infrared saunas and then we have like a Reiki yoga room and all of those things to the patients are amenities right like they're all things that they can go access while they're in treatment we use them as de-escalation processes, right? So like when somebody's feeling anxious or um, they might wanna leave AMA, we'll be like, all right, why don't you go take 10 minutes in the sauna and then we'll come back and get you, you know? They think that they're just going to sit in a sauna for 10 minutes when in reality, they're just, they're de-escalating during that process. You know, they're calming down, their moods are coming down. It's also involves some chromotherapy. So we might have the lavender lights on. Next thing you know, 
they're feeling better, they don't want an AMA. You know what I mean? Um, the Oppa massage chair is like being in a hot tub on a massage chair. So you have somebody who's detoxing from heroin and their legs are kicking. We put them on the chair, you know, um, and it feels like they're in a hot tub, you know. Um, and these are all really cool things that we have learned to do, you know, as a, through a process of, you know, I, this term seems really cliche, but like we have people who come in our building that that feel so unloved when they come in our building, and it's just we make them love themselves. Like we love them until they're ready to love themselves. Mm. Which is so important because that's really that's really at the core of the healing process is feeling loved, feeling connected, and then being able to love yourself. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm wondering. I. I I've really enjoyed your story. I've, I've enjoyed learning about dream life and all of the aspects that they bring to the table. And, and, and I, I kind of did laugh. You said it's, they, you know, it's located in this really little town outside of Pittsburgh. And in my head, I'm like, I don't think there's any little towns outside of Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's like a population of like 144 people. Like it's really, it's, yeah. So it's, it's like exit 91 off the turnpike. Um, if you're heading towards Seven Springs uh, Ski Resort, the ski resort, the town of Donegal is just really, really small. We're blessed because they're really receptive to the treatment center. Um, it is kind of tucked away, and it's very difficult for anybody to leave the facility, which is always a, a benefit to most people. Um, but it's just in an area that's just kind of remote. You know, it's about two hours from Harrisburg, an hour from Pittsburgh. It's just, it's not as far west as most people think. Hmm. Very cool. I, yeah, and I love what you guys are incorporating. Um, let me ask you this. So so now I ask this question, it's a little selfish, right? And I ask it every now and then, but are you a reader and, and are you reading any books? I am, I'm actually reading. It's actually funny that you bring that up. I'm reading right now. Quit like a woman. <laughs> and and what what is it? What's the pr premise of the story? It's uh, quit like a woman. The radical choice to not drink in a culture obsessed with alcohol. So it is about a woman's journey um, into recovery about 10 years prior and how she stayed sober, um, you know, kind of battling like the patriarchy of AA and, and all these different things. And, and what does that look like today? Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, we all, we all like to connect in different ways. And I'm sure that there's going to be people that just have loved your story and loved, loved the the approach that you take, and they're going to want to connect with you and with Dream Life Recovery. What's the best way for them to connect with you? They can give me a call, 609-851-2499. That's my personal cell. It has always been my personal cell, and anybody can call me at any time. You know you're serious when you're willing to give out your cell number, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, thanks for being on. Thanks for sharing. We'll have to catch up with you here, you know, in a while and see where things are at with you. But what a rich story and, and a rich life that you, you're living. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will talk to you guys soon.